I'll ask questions that I already know the answer to, or I know about them and just to kind of see what they say. It's really important to just know that this person has integrity, especially in our space where my team, you know, several of my team members manage north of a million dollars a month. Welcome to the Everything is Influence podcast. This podcast is dedicated to help you understand why human beings do the things they do and ultimately how you can work with human psychology to influence change and get people to do what you want them to. Whether this is your clients, your prospects, your kids, your spouse, or anyone you come into contact with, this show will give you the tools of influence so that you can become more, unlock your true potential, and serve even more powerfully than you already do. My name is Eli Wild. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Everything is Influence podcast, where on each and every episode, we dig into the four levels of influence. How does someone influence themselves to become more influential, to follow their word? How does a person become influential, and how do they take their thoughts and ideas, transfer that to another person? That's level two influence. How do they do that in groups, level three? And then where we always start is with level four influence. How do we take our thoughts or ideas or expertise and influence at scale, replacing ourselves with people and process? And so I always talk to a lot of very influential people, legendary influencers on this program. But today I have the unique privilege to talk to somebody who is the person behind these legends, the people that help, the guy that helps actually install the people and process to help people like you become more influential at scale. So without any further ado, Mr. Ashton Shanks, how are you, sir? <laughs> Good, man. Good. Thanks for having me on, man. It's a pleasure. Yeah. yeah. Let's, uh, let's dig right into it. So I'll let everybody know a little bit about what it is you do. Um, Cause for myself, I didn't even know what media buying was until, <laughs> you know, I connected with you and I heard about this thing. I had no real idea. So let's, let's start there. What do you, what do you do? And what is this media buying thing? Yeah. So I'm the CEO of an agency called Heeman Media. We're a direct response advertising company. Uh, we're really now more full service, but media buying it itself, and that's kind of really where I built the reputation is, is the person who creates and places media purchases on a platform, let's say like Facebook or a Google or a YouTube. So those ads that you see all the time is like, oh man, how is Facebook listening to my conversations? You get served with that product ad on, on your newsfeed. That's from guys like me. That's awesome. So it's finding... Uh, like certain target demographic, like they follow Tony Robbins or they follow this person and you find like the right formula of these ads need to go to these type of people. Yeah, exactly. So clients will come to us and they might have a product or a service that they're trying to get more customers or more leads from. And and my job is ultimately to understand the product well enough and understand the market well enough uh, to find that synergy so that when I can place an ad in front of someone, I have a higher level of confidence that that person is going to take an action, whether that's filling out a form or purchasing a product. My job is to find the right markets and deliver the right message to that market so that the company gets more customers or more leads. That's awesome. And so there's so many questions I have just for my own, my own business. So I've done pretty much everything I've ever done uh, for Tony, like word of mouth, knocking on doors. Um, you know, I was like the marketing for Tony yeah. and, you know, and I've done this for a long time. And then even, you know, for myself, just organic on Facebook and we've, you know, we've not cracked the marketing code ourselves. So I've got some questions there for sure, because we're, we're in this. And I know a lot of the, the listeners are here too. Um, as it comes to media buying, when people start running ads, because there's all these different, um, ad programs, agency programs, people doing it themselves. 
where do people make the biggest mistakes when it comes to media buying? Because I know a lot of people run ads and they're super like not profitable or yeah. they spend a bajillion dollars on a lead um, and you're able to get that cost down. Like yeah. where are people making these, these mistakes specifically? I think uh, as of lately, it's it started to shift, um, especially since all the iOS issues and all the attrib yeah. issue, attribution issues everyone's complaining about. Uh, I think a lot of people are trying to solve marketing problems with media buying solutions, meaning uh, back in the day, if you look back at like 2013, 2015, almost anyone could throw up an ad on Facebook or Google YouTube yeah. and it would just print money. Uh, the algorithms were very good at finding the target markets. And so even if your ads weren't that great or your positioning or messaging wasn't that great, the algorithms were so good at finding those hot and ready customers. Uh, since last year, that effectiveness has really drained down. And a lot of people now are going, oh, my campaign structure isn't correct, or I'm not bidding the right amount, or realistically, it's just their copy sucks, or their creative is not attention grabbing, or their offers are not positioned the right way with their demographic. And so lately, it's lower tiered marketing, and people think that the media buying is what's actually going to fix it. So they're just throwing more dollars at something that's inefficient. Do you, do you consult people on, cause you mentioned copywriting, uh, you mentioned, you know, maybe like their video is bad. What, yeah. what helps you help other people? What do they need to have in place before media buying? Ironically, and you know the term, but I'll explain it briefly, the avatar doc or realistically just their target markets research. They don't actually have a document that outlines exactly who they want to go after, exactly what personality that person has. I'm talking political views, religious views. Are they married? Are they single? What age? How much income are they making? What are the books that they read, the TV shows they watch? What are the sites they visit? People really don't outline that stuff. Um, but if you did, it actually becomes very easy to write a good advertisement for your market because you have their entire profile and identity in front of you. The problem is a lot of people are just doing this off, off you know, their thought or what they think their market will convert at rather than doing the actual research to understand what is the market already responding to. Yeah. What, is, what makes a good ad? Great question. So there's kind of a couple of different areas. First one is disruption. Uh, that's kind of just a basic one because if they don't see your ad, they don't stop scrolling or they don't stop and watch your video, then it means nothing. So the first one is disruption. The next one I would say is relevance, meaning how relevant is this product or service to what they need or what their pain points are or what their desire is. The last one is clarity. Uh, clarity is an area that I think most advertisers fail at now because too many advertisers are trying to be clever. They're trying to come up with a witty headline, a witty hook yeah. or that funny video, but it actually loses or distorts the clarity of what are you actually offering? What's in it for me? What's the price and how do I get what ultimately you're trying to offer me? Uh, and so clarity would probably be the last one. Mm. And what, what do you think is working better video or written or a combination? It's a combo. It's a combo. Yeah. So in our, our accounts, we always encourage people to always have a minimum of an image, a video, um, a meme, and then a like kind of like lifestyle TikTok-y style video now. Those are the kind of the three or the four different styles of ads that uh, people are most responding to nowadays. Uh, so you always test all of them and then see which one pulls the best results and then start replicating whatever one started pulling more data. Okay. And speaking of results, what kind of results are, do you see with your clients? Just to kind of give us, because I know we connected <laughs> so, at TNF yeah. and we were there. Um, yeah, so you're, you're in the last year or 2021, we spent about $35 million on behalf of our clients. Uh, our average return was 3.7 per uh, 3.7 3 X ROAS. So uh, that would be 370%. Amazing. 
that's uh that's good stuff. So let's let's back up here a little bit. How did you get into this? Because most uh, I guess kids don't wake up one day and say, Hey, I want to be a media buyer. Like yeah, how did this, yeah, yeah. how did this happen? So this goes way back. Actually, very few people know about this side of, of my life most people just know the traffic and funnel side. But before that, when I was 16 is when I got into marketing and I yeah, kind of by, fell in. By the way, how, how old are you now? 26. 26. Yeah. It's yeah, 10 years. Don't yeah. So, look, so I, I got started really young at a company that was selling cell phone parts on eBay at the time. And I was uh, literally working out of her garage. I would go after school, help her package up orders. Well, this company started growing pretty fast. I'd say about three or four months later, we were in like a storefront and I had started helping out in every area of customer service, shipping, logistics. And then eventually they're like, Hey, Ashton, we should start a marketing department. You've been here the longest. Do you want to be our marketing director? And I was six and had no idea what marketing really was, but director sounded awesome in my title. And so I was like, yeah, sure. I'll be the marketing director. Yeah. And uh, I remember going to Barnes and Noble that day, getting jab, jab, right hook by Gary V in marketing yeah. for dummies. And that was my first kind of intro into marketing. Long story short, that company, I was there about three and a half years. When I left, we were doing about 3.2 million a month in revenue. And I was the head of a department, the marketing department doing about 800 to $900,000 a month coming through my department. And that company is really where I learned all of the marketing tricks and hacks and, and tested and failed a lot. The funniest thing about that case study is it's probably one of my best case studies and the most well-documented. But uh, if you typed in that company, Flash Technologies, Springfield, Missouri, you're going to see a letter from the Department of Justice. And apparently, uh, I helped build this company and they, the FBI raided the warehouse. You'll see an article about a woman who committed $90 million in counterfeit sales. And that's oh. the company that I helped build when I was 16. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. So there was that. And then uh, another company had heard about me. I was marketing director for them for a while. I lived in Seattle for a while and was uh, marketing agency manager there for uh, some tech companies uh, that worked out of the agency. And then of course, traffic and funnels came after that. And that's where most people know about me. Worked there for Seattle. about three years. Did, were you in yep. Missouri living there originally? So it's weird. I've moved all over the place. So I lived in, I grew up in, in Texas. I lived in Missouri and that's where I went to high school. And when I got married, we moved to New Orleans and then I moved to Seattle. I was there for a few years and then Nashville when traffic and funnels happened. Oh man, you're, you're on the move. Where are you now? Nashville still. I'm in Nashville. Yeah. Well, we had to move back to Missouri and ultimately that's what had me transition out of traffic and funnels two years ago okay. uh, to be around some family. There was some family stuff. And then uh, we moved back here two or three weeks ago, uh, because we're opening up our offices here in Franklin shortly. Okay. So you're right in Franklin. Yeah. 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 yeah that's a small world. That's uh <laughs> that's cool, man. And so when you broke off, like what was the process of, I guess, getting your first client like on your own? So was yeah. that, so you always worked. So how did you even get the job at traffic and funnels? And most people listening here, uh, traffic and funnels they're they were huge a few years ago. They've not, they've not been as active but they really kind of penetrated the market with the first, this thing called client kit. It was kind of a done with you program for entrepreneurs and coaches, how to package their expertise. And they did, they killed it with that program. They made bajillions of dollars. Um, was that like your first, I guess, like your client, cause you went internal and you were, you were working somewhere. And I, I want to find out the process of you breaking off from working for these companies where you've learned so much and have been around great mentors and you figured out some things and then getting your own, your own first clients and starting your own biz. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I'd worked for them for about three years, I believe, um, before uh, essentially April of 2020 is when I transitioned out of Traffic and Funnels as their advertising director. And to be honest, man, I think we were really fortunate, uh, or at least I was very fortunate because we had built such a reputation or I had built such a reputation behind the work I could do. Yeah. Um, and and I, I did some of the trainings. And so clients were seeing the trainings. And, and realistically, it was just a matter of me starting to say yes. I had gotten requests all the time to run people's traffic. And I just always said no. And then when I transitioned, it was just kind of a matter of saying yes. And I, I think we hit a hundred, uh, well, it was like, we hit a hundred K in revenue. And I think in like 63 days of, of business. Nice. Um, and so it, it really was just a, a out of this world, like breakneck speed of growth. Um, so we, we never really had to try, even to this date, we've never done any kind of outreach or ads or anything to get clients. It's just all been word of mouth and reputation. Amazing. So you, you know, the media buying and the ads, but you haven't even needed to really use it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Now, fortunately, so the human X side of what we were talking about before the, the podcast, the, the recruiting and the training and development, we run ads for that. So that's been really fun for me to finally get to run ads for myself. Could you speak about that? So you've got um, as far as what your offers on the market, yeah. like you can do the media buying, but you've also got, I guess, an agency. So this is unique to the market, a unique type of offer where people uh, yeah. can figure out how to become a media buyer. They can recruit a media buyer. If you could speak to that a little bit, let, let people know, because it's, yeah. it's a unique thing that you're doing that's, that's filling a, um, it's like a bleeding hole in yeah. the market. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. It was, it was legitimately just uh, filling the gaps that I found when, you know, when we started the agency, we grew so fast. Hiring people was my biggest constraint to growth. It was really hard to find good people. And, and I thought at first the goal or the way to get good talent, it was just to pay for it. Yeah. So I was like, okay, let me go get the best media buyers from, you know, the biggest agencies I can find, pay them 150 grand a year. And that's how I'm going to continue to be able to grow. And I brought them in and they all were terrible. They were producing terrible mm. results. And I realized, man, there's just, there was very few people that were training media bars the way I would have expected media bars to be as far as standards of excellence anyway. And so I, ended up building my own program because I was like, okay, if I can't go pay for talent, I'm going to just find people with the right personality and then train them to be my level of caliber and media buying. So what is, what is that this. personality? What is that person? Cause that's, that's huge. And I know yeah. um, we have a mutual friend Cole and you know, I've sent them a lot of people, people have reached out from the show uh, and said, you know, I want to get a sales job. And so I've tried to push them through that recruiting and yeah. You know, and I, I wanted to see it. And so I, you know, I'm good friends with our, you know, Brian Ostermiller, Savannah, yep. and I'm, you know, like, because they, they find train place salespeople and some people get placed, some people don't. And I said, what is it about the people who don't? Um, why don't they? And I said, culture fit, personality, you know, so, you know, just for a lot of people here, whether they're, so if you're listening and you're looking to hire people, or if you're looking to get hired, uh, what makes a good hire? What makes somebody like, what, what do you look for in an individual? Yeah. Great question. So there's kind of a couple of different filters that I apply when I'm doing this. And it just depends on what lens I want to look through. Do I want to look through just the media buying aspect lens or do I want to look at culture company? Would we like working with this person? It's huge. Yep. So the first one, as far as media bar goes, um, media bar is a couple of different areas. One, they have some type of history or uh, reference to an aggressive level competition. They're very competitive people. So I look for people, okay, did they play sports in school? What kind of sports do they play? Do they do uh, jujitsu now? That's a great one to look for. Do they do jujitsu now? That means they're very strategic, but also have high levels of aggression. Um, media bars are also very, um, 
deconstructive personalities, meaning anything that they see, they really want to break it down. So sometimes I'll ask like, you know, when they were kids, what, what kind of things did they do for fun? Uh, like one of the things that I always used to do uh, when I was a real little kid is I, I tore stuff apart. I'd take apart the TV, I'd take apart my dad's cell phone. I would take apart everything just because I wanted to see how it worked. And sometimes I could put it back together. Sometimes I couldn't, but I was just very curious. Um, Myers-Briggs, it's changed over time. It used to, I used to go after specific Myers-Briggs in the either INTJ or the ENTP realms. Uh, I'm an ENTP, so I just naturally knew how I think. And so I looked for other people with similar personalities. Um, but the biggest thing that you really want to look for, uh, ultimately, and, and the second one goes for both sides, but the first one uh, is, are they very curious and hungry as a person? Um, oh. We specifically ask what kind of books do they read? And it's always very easy to tell when someone really reads or someone's just saying that they read and they're calling out a few book titles that everyone knows. Oh. Uh, but when it's a book that people should be reading like for this, what, and what exam, are your, Yeah. Great example is in the marketing for dummies and the, yeah, it's a great yeah. example of, of, in the marketing side, I'll go, okay, who do you look up to as far as marketers, and copywriters? And and if they realistically only say like David Ogilvy, which is like one of the most famous ones of all time, then I know that they're probably leading on more than what they actually are. But if they start saying, you know, Paris Unpropolis, Gary Halpert, uh, you know, Ben Savanga, and they're like calling out all these other types of copywriters that we know of that were really famous back more than like the 60s, 70s, 80s. Oh. And that tells me that they're a studier. Um, and so that's, that's a great question to look after. And then the final thing is integrity. Um, that's the biggest one of all of them, even inside of our, uh, interviews, uh, I'll ask questions that I already know the answer to, or I know about them and just to kind of see what they say. It's really that's important huge. to just know that this person has integrity, especially in our space where my team, you know, several of my team members manage North of a million dollars a month and ad spend for our clients. Mm -hmm. And when you have that level of uh, importance behind it, you've got to make sure that you can trust these guys, especially when they screw up, will they actually tell you the truth or will they try to cover it up? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's huge. You know, and paying attention to this million dollars in ad spend, you know, I, I figured with ads, all that stuff, media buying, it was kind of just like set it and forget it. Like you just put it in there, but that's not how it is. Like things are always changing and you know, you double down. I know, uh, we have a mutual acquaintance, Taylor Welch. We went to, uh, where we go, Milwaukee. Uh, and there was a guy that had done, he was doing all his own media buying for like CBD um, mm. type stuff. And he said that it, it was all in that. And I just, I, it's been weird for me to kind of understand it, but he's constantly in there tinkering with stuff. What, what are some things when somebody's successful with it? Because it's not just you said it. What has to happen in order for somebody to be successful to work with, kind of the changing tide of what's happening. What, what do they need to be skilled at? Uh, thinking ahead uh, is, is probably the biggest aspect to it. I think, you know, in almost every ad account I look at, there's typically the biggest inefficiency is not even in just what they're doing. It's how fast are they doing it? How fast are they making the decision to kill in a campaign or to scale a campaign that's working really well? That little lag time is massive, especially when you think about, you know, if you're spending a thousand dollars a day, right. And you just wait three hours on something like that. It's 300, 400 plus bucks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And especially for people who have always, you know, in the past, the, the kind of best practice was let things optimize for two, three, four days. And then you can make a decision. Facebook always even recommended a week, let things run a week. Yeah. But companies who are spending a thousand dollars a day cannot afford to wait a week if the results are in the, in the, in the junk, you know, in the toilet. And so 
thinking ahead, not only on, okay, if this goes well, what do I do next? Or if this goes bad, what do I do next? But also going, what do I expect to see when I make this change? If I make this change, for example, do I expect to see an increased CTR? If so, how much? Um, so that way, hey, you know, a few hours have gone by or a day's gone by and what I expected has not happened. Well, then now it's for you, time for you to re-strategize. And so the speed of action is, is probably just as important inside of a media buying account at high levels uh, than it is on like, what does your campaign flow look like? Mm -hmm. That's, it's amazing. So you broke off, you got your first clients just yep. off word of mouth. And, you know, I, this, this thing called influence, I, I always ask questions rel relative to this. Like for me, I've got my views on what this is and this shows all about influence. How do you see the process of influence? So you're, cause you're there with the marketing and you're putting out these messages and we've got to obviously build trust. We've got to disrupt. Um, you said some really great things here. What, how do you see the process of taking somebody from cold to sold from, you know, uncommitted <laughs> to stranger? Like what is that process that somebody needs to go through psychologically to get somebody um, really enrolled in what you're trying to do because you yeah. manage a lot of that. And so you're, you know, we all, we always hear this term in business work on your business, not in it. And so you're in it, but you've obviously have that 30,000 foot view of so many different successful yeah. marketing campaigns. Like how do you see the, the syntax, the mental syntax somebody needs to go through to get them And some of that's the sales call. Some of that's the initial ad. Some of the, sometimes there's, uh, could be a tank page with a bunch of testimonials on it. What are what are kind of the key elements that have made that that process that syntax most effective? Mm. So I'll kind of like break down the way someone's brain processes the information first, because okay. that'll set a good foundation. So the first thing, you know, holistically, it, our brains are wired to ignore as much information as possible. It, yep. it does not want to grasp information it has so much that it's already trying to do. And the number one driving force for your brain is to what? Keep you alive. That's what yeah. it wants to do. And the next thing it wants to do is to make sure that the species survives. So its next goal is survivability long-term. So the first thing that you've got to do in any kind of advertising or marketing process is prove to them or prove to their brain realistically, because most of the time this is subconscious, is this important for them? Does it like have to do with survivability? Uh, is this something, why should they pay attention to it right now, right? Or why should they pay attention at all? The next thing, ultimately the brain goes, to, and this goes down in from pitch anything or in class, yeah. uh, this goes to the midbrain. Right? Yeah, I was, I, was, I was just thinking through that. And, you know, he's master of frames. We've yeah. got, you know, we teach, you know, at a base level, maybe about 30 different frames. Um, you know, when I, when I did an event with Jordan Belfort and I outsold him at that event, um, I framed, there's a frame called new versus old. Mm. And so I framed what he did very, very with tact. I yeah, said, yeah. wow, that was so great. You know, and it was, it, while some of that still applies, has communication changed since, I mean, that was great in the eighties, but there's this thing now called the internet, this thing now yeah. called uh, social media as a way we, text messaging as the way we communicated changed since then. So I framed as old. Um, and I also talk a lot about movement. So Oren yeah. Kauf talks about this, like, like if you're in the cave, and something moves, we have to pay attention to it. Yeah. So if I talk about how moving, there's moving trends in media buying, how, yeah. how what worked yesterday isn't going to work in the future. Here's what's most likely to happen. I'm positioning myself as a thought leader and I'm talking about, even if I talk about movement, people have to pay attention. And yeah. so he's good with morality frame. Um, I teach best interest frame. So whenever I tell somebody to do something, like write this down so yep. that you can remember it, you know, yep. so that you can actually apply it. So whenever I give a command, I'm always framing it in their best interest for them, not for me. But he's a master of frames. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's important for people to understand, you know, like survival, 
you know, things related to their longevity. Like if we can communicate to that and grab their attention, it frames the whole conversation. So a lot of times people, they do the right tactics, but it's, it's, yeah. they didn't frame the conversation correctly, or they, they didn't position themselves as an authority without being a douche, you know, like, Hey, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I've, you know, I, I charge $2 million a second for my coaching and here's my Lamborghini. Yep. Not that it's, it's a way of communicating and it's a yep. way of being direct sometimes or being empathetic depending on the audience. So there's different yep. uh, frames. And I know that uh, of course, Jay Abraham talks a lot about that. Did you get to work with Jay? No, no, no. Okay. Not when the, not, they were working in, I was on a few calls with them, but nothing yep. like, connection. Yeah. Um, so you, you talk, you've got these, kind yep. of these frames around survival that takes people through this process. What are some of the other pieces in that puzzle? Yeah. The next thing is always after the information or after some, you know, the brain's going, okay, I'm paying attention. It goes to the midbrain, which is ultimately now the body's reaction of going, okay, now what do I do with this information? Mm -hmm. uh, is this relevant to me and my needs? Does this help me, you know, avoid pain or just help me go towards pleasure? And then the final one that it goes to after that is ultimately, do I need action now? Uh, is it important to do something now? Yeah. So the first one, it's like under, when you understand that, their whole thing has to relate back to some core entity, which ultimately is survivability. Um, that's where everything stems from, whether it's, you know, even if it's like people are talking about sex appeal, well, sex is the core driving thing of survival. That yeah. is what the body wants to do to further the species. So that's still a part of that thing. But then the core thing I think where most people miss out is actually the last one. Why do they need to take action now? Yeah. Um, it's either they lose them on the disruption, meaning they didn't even get their attention or they, provided it, but the brain goes, okay, cool. I'll do that later. And there's no real reason why the body wants to do this now. Cause the body wants to conserve as much energy as possible to keep surviving. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's huge. And doing the whole, like heaven, if you do hell, if you don't with yeah. tact, that's, yep. that's key. I think some people get it. They're like too direct or whatever. It needs to be kind of subtle. Sometimes it can be direct if there's enough uh, perceived authority, like if Oprah says it or Tony Robbins or, um, I was going to say a president of the United States, maybe not the last, not, not the last couple. Uh, but, you know, usually there's that position of authority where people have built trust um, in order for somebody. So I've, I've heard a lot, this, this rule of seven hours in order for somebody to become a buyer, they typically have to have consumed about seven hours of content. That can be an hour on the phone, video, free stuff. Um, you're able to get that down, but you know, what needs to happen in that time? Like, what do they need to go through? to build the trust in order to become a buyer? So in marketing, we call this levels of proof. Um, there's different types of proof, levels of proof, but the only real purpose of any kind of proof is to, mm, I guess, shut down the walls or try to bring down the walls that someone would have. Realistically, the only thing anyone ever needs to make a decision is a desire and information of how to do it. Um, the, everything else is, uh, you know, you know, in sales, you guys call this obstacles and objections, right? Yeah. Um, the obstacles is oftentimes what marketing is supposed to deal with, um, when it comes to, you know, okay, how do I get this? What's the time frame for me to get this? What's the outcome of this? How do I know it's going to work for me? All of those things need to be brought down when it comes to marketing. As far as time goes, I think that really just depends on what is actually being offered. Um, inside of, of our marketing, what we say is to, in order for you to engender conversion, your value minus your costs must still be greater or equal to your acceptability. 
which essentially just means the value that someone perceives what you're doing, which there's different types of value, right? There's, there's the monetary value, there's time value, there's exclusivity, right? If other people can't do it, it's instantly more valuable. But mm -hmm. then the cost side is the areas too, that people fail at. There's monetary costs. There's also time costs, meaning how long is it going to take me to get what I want? And then there's like mental costs, friction. Uh, how hard is it for me to understand what you're trying to give to me? Uh, example, people, you know, in funnels, we talk about, Hey, your funnel has too much friction. Well, essentially that just means you're putting too many steps in someone's brain in order for them to convert. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you have three-step funnel or four-step funnel, well, that takes more friction. That means someone has to go through four steps before they can actually convert. And then acceptability is the last one. That's the, the BS meter. Everyone has a BS meter, right? Mm -hmm. And so if your value is too high and your cost is too low, well, someone goes BS. I don't believe that. So you have to make sure that your value is higher than your cost, but it still has to match acceptability if you want them to convert. That's interesting. Yeah, a lot of the offers are. It's a compelling offer, but it's like you can get rich overnight with doing very little work and it's a dollar, uh, you know, ebook, yes. something yeah. like that. And so, yeah, that's, that's interesting how to gauge that, uh, you know, where do you see people kind of getting that wrong? They overpromise, under deliver, or like, what's, what are some key metrics in that process that, that have kind of helped you help other people? It really depends on industry um, yeah. a lot because every industry, um, this relates back to uh, Eugene Schwartz's old principle of sophistication level. Yeah, breakthrough right. advertising. Is, exactly. What's your favorite? What's your favorite book? Oh, that's, breakthrough advertising. Yeah, that's such a great. I, I just got be. it. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, first three, four chapters. Memorize that, and that, that's that'll set you for a long time. Um, okay. but, uh, yeah, sophistication was a principle that he had kind of created and it's all just around like what your market's already seen in terms of competitor advertisements, messages being sent to them. Right. And so the higher level of sophistication, the more crowded, I guess the market would be considered, um, example, Tesla, when it first came out, they could charge whatever they wanted. They charged six figures on every single model um, yeah. and everyone only went to them. Why? Well, they can say anything they want. They, they literally can just say all new, brand new electric vehicle uh, because there was no competitors. But now if Tesla came out with an ad and it says brand new, all electric vehicle, what does everyone say? Big whoop, That's, right? Yeah. And who cares? Common. Yeah. So the level of sophistication is increased, which therefore means your messaging has to increase as far as sophistication, um, which then talks about mechanisms and all that fun stuff. But when it comes to that, it's making sure that the messaging style that you have is equal to the sophistication level that your market already has. Um, mm -hmm. And that's going to increase relevance, which again, was that part two of your decision-making. Is this relevant to me? Is it something I need to do? Is it helpful for me? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh... You know, speaking of Tesla, it's such a great example and Elon Musk and, you know, with all the things that are happening now with him and Twitter and all of that, yeah. how important do you think it is for some of these brands that are doing media buying, getting their ads out there to have a, like a personal brand, you know, as well. So there's Apple and Steve Jobs. Uh, part of the Rob problem with like, say a Tony Robbins company is he's the face of it. And when he's gone, the kind of company will die. And, you know, not to mention any names, but company we're both associated with, they were you know, the main dude was doing a lot of the ads and then he removed himself and their revenue tanked um, because of that. And so like, how important is it for somebody to be the face of the ads and to do it? Because I've got some different insight on this because I, I got my own company and yeah. I kind of don't want it to be all about me because I've seen yeah. how it works, but I've seen kind of this, this thing. So as people are doing ads, how important is it for, for the main person to be the main person, you know, to have, to have a face yeah. associated with the brand? 
Is that yeah. make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. So uh, it depends on a couple of things. One, what is the ultimate outcome of the company? If it if the goal is to sell, which in my opinion every company should start with the aims of at least building it to sell. Yeah. Uh, in a world in that world, the best case scenario would to never have to need a face to yeah. be the brand. Um, companies that typically have a face as the brand is normally because that was the necessity. Um, because in the beginning of mo companies like ours, even Heman Media, for example, right? I am the product, right? Yeah. People aren't coming because they like Heman, they come because they like Ashton and they want Ashton. Right now, it might be the same for you. It's, it's not yeah. because I don't know what the name of your company is, but they might not be coming for that name, they're coming for Eli. And yeah. until the point that your product outweighs the face value as a product, then you're going to have to have some kind of face. But ideally, you work yourself out of it. So for me, it's now I'm starting to uh, pay for content of my team to be producing content. Now it's, it's producing more of just not me. Get me off as much as possible because I need my product, aka my agency, to be the value prompt and not necessarily Ashton. Um, mm -hmm for sellable reasons, for time reasons, you know, there's only so long you can do all the ads, all the content, be the face. Cause that takes a lot of time. Um, so the faster you can get out of that, the better Tesla Tesla's a great product and it's people aren't buying because they're like, Oh, I'm buying he Elon. They're buying a Tesla. And that's yeah. why Tesla can stand on its own. And that's why it's going to be more valuable. Yeah. Yeah. It's important for people. I think, you know, and this gets overlooked a lot to have a, a unique branded solution. You know, we mentioned Tony Robbins has the six human needs, the triad. So he's got these processes. And I think, you know, a lot of people, they, they need to have like a signature system yeah. that they miss out on. And then you can brand and market the system, say, look, you know, it's, and then, you know, if you're starting out and this is things that, that I do too, because I sell influence training. It's like, say, if you look at a Grant Cardone or, you know, we've got a product called the infinite sales message. It's like Tony Robbins, same message, same one message for 40 years. Grant Cardone, one message is they have an, this is how you don't 2X, 5X, 10X your sales. You have an infinite message of sales. So this is the foundation and you've got to be able to communicate that message. And so we've created a process where it's basically just, it's speaker training, influence training, but it's about the process, not so much about me. And I, and I leverage almost as testimonials, uh, these people. It, so Oprah is using the infinite sales message. Tony Robbins using the infinite sales message, whether they know it or not. And yeah. so that's, that's how we've tried to lead with that a bit to get people bought into the process. And I leverage people that aren't clients as testimonials by we've extracted their, their syntax, their mental syntax, their belief system, yeah. and the structure of what they do. Um, and so we try to infuse that into our people. So uh, that's cool. So let's, let's break off of this now, just and really quick. And I want to be respectful of your time. You've built your own company where you find train and place media buyers and you put those in companies kind of walk us through that a little bit yeah. like because so if somebody's yeah. looking for a media buyer they don't want to do it themselves they can hire you guys or they a lot of people want somebody in-house yeah yeah so this actually speaks perfect to what we were just talking about because what i had found back in that story of of man all these people couldn't perform and just because i paid them well i realized i had to build my own process and, and train my guys from the ground up and so yeah. I'd started doing that and then it started working really well. I'd have media buyers that came to us never spending more than 15 grand in a month now manage north of a million dollars a month in six months. And we have Facebook media bars that came in never spending more than five grand a month. Now we're spending 800 grand a month. And again, about six to seven months. And I was like, man, this process works really, really well. I bet other companies would want this. And so we started Human X. And then I realized again, in my own company, our biggest struggle was hiring. 
And so I was going, well, what if I just built a company that hires people all the time and that'll help solve my problem of growing the team? Because now I have other businesses paying me to search for great talent and train great talent. And so we started HumanX recruiting. Um, and so essentially the process, you know, we do about 50 interviews a week. My team's put together, if you ever read uh, Principles by Ray Dalio, those baseball yeah. cards that he talks about in his book, we put together those baseball cards, we run media bars through competency tests, personality tests, and then when businesses come to us, we can deliver to them, hey, based on you know your company, your culture, what you're looking for, here are the top five picks that we've already gone through, vetted, you should ha hop on interviews with these guys. They can make a hire. And then essentially once they've made a hire, we put that media bar through our 10 week program to make sure that they can still run to our caliber and our standard. Amazing. That's uh, that's great. How many clients are you working with right now? I think we have about 55 wow. active right now. Yeah. In uh, in the Heman X, Heman X recruiting side. In Heman Media, we have 30. Hmm. How do you how do you run all that? You know, it's because it's like this level of influence, you've got your capacity to do it. And as people are leveling up, like I, I know, cause we talked to a mutual friend, Cole, like he's running all these different yeah. businesses and it's a lot and they've got tons of people. Like, what are some things that you do to help manage it? Like your meetings, like your flow, the recruiting, do you have account managers? Like, how do you keep all that? You, you almost have to have like your own little C-suite. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually do. And I would say, you know, to your level of influence side, that is that is how we do it. I just have an amazing, amazing team. Um, there's no way I could do what I've done without them. They're incredibly top level talent. Um, and I think beyond that too, I've painted a very clear picture of where we're going. So even our company, any internal staff, I built literally a website for, you know, humangroup.com forward slash vivid dash vision. They can type in a password and it outlays everything that we're doing, where we're going. I realized that we were growing at such a pace that not everyone could know what, what we were doing at the time. And yeah. so we would hop on meetings and be like, I didn't even know we started a new company. That's awesome. And yeah. so I created this place that one perfectly outlines what is our culture values? What does it look like to work at Heman? What does it mean to be Hemanite? We kind of create a little bit of a cultish like environment internally. Yeah. Uh, and then we show uh, full transparency, revenues, churn rates, employee churn rates, uh, new companies that can see what the projections are for Q2, Q3, Q4. And uh, it's been a perfect way because now I have a leadership team that knows exactly where the end zone is at all times. Um, and they can operate a lot of times autonomously without me. Um, even when we were moving, I was out for like three, four weeks because we had some nightmarish move stories. And mm -hmm. uh, our churn rate was lower than ever. Our company hit a new revenue record. It's just, again, I think it's so clear on where we're going that the processes just follow themselves. Yeah. Compelling vision. That's, that's huge. Um, is there anything about this whole media buying jam that I didn't ask you that I should have? Um, I think the only thing maybe would just be, uh, if you are an advertiser and you're listening to this or you're a company that run at runs ads right now, uh, diversification is massive, but I think more of coming up with holistic marketing strategies. I think a lot of businesses fall into the trap of going, well, I run Facebook ads. That's our marketing strategy. That's not a marketing strategy. That's a medium that you run traffic through. Um, but actually printing out, you know, what is the flow? What's the expectation? What message are we trying to convey to the market? When you start thinking more higher level, that's what's going to allow you to actually start seeing the parts of your machine that breaks and it helps mm. you fix it a lot faster. And diversification, speak to that. So holistically, I get yep. that. Diversification, how do you mean by that? Diversification of, do you have a specific email marketing plan, a YouTube, Google, 
you know, Snapchat, TikTok, multi-platform. LinkedIn, multi-platform plans, but also then SMS and seeing how those work together. That's what I mean by holistic of just all of those different mediums. How do they meet together and complete one marketing mission? Uh, but then realistically, if you're not even on multiple platforms, that's where you got to start. Uh, you yeah. got to start testing, um, you know, TikTok and, and YouTube are probably the two biggest ones I'd say people should be testing right now, um, especially if you're in some kind of lead generation. Oh, man, lead generation is super, super good on TikTok right now. Hmm. Um, you can get leads fairly easily anywhere from five to $15 at scale. Um, it, it's it's pretty incredible. Is that, a, is that a good audience? So people have been telling me I should get on TikTok for like the last two years. It's, it's good though, huh? I figured it's all just... Kids. Yeah, there. that's, you know, that's what you think. And, and, but it's got a billion active monthly users. You know I mean? That's wow. half the size of Facebook and they've been around for a few years. Wow. That kind of trajectory is, you know, dwarfing any kind of growth of any other platform out there. So even if I'd say your market quote unquote isn't on there, meaning the majority of the usership is not 35 plus, those users are still definitely there. Mm-hmm. Um, and now is the kind of time, you know, I was getting... I, I just even ran some fan page, you know, get some followers on TikTok. I was getting five to eight cents a follow, uh, you know, so we were up to like 9,000 followers with like 300 bucks in ad spend. I mean, you wow. can't, I mean, that's, that's insane. You definitely got to keep going. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, where can people find out more about you and what you do? Yeah. Um, so if you want to know more about our agency, hemanmedia.com or thehemangroup.com, either one will go to the same place. Uh, Facebook is where I post a lot of more longer form stuff. If you want more, you know, trainings, tips, things like that. Uh, in Instagram, I've been posting a ton of content. Uh, you can either go to at thehemanx or uh, ashton.shanks and you'll see us. Perfect. Awesome, brother. Appreciate you. Appreciate the time. And for everybody here, uh, this has been awesome. I got a page of notes here. Hopefully you do too. And I will uh, be seeing you guys next time on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Everything is Influence podcast. If you got value from this episode, loved what you heard, and you want to go deeper into really understanding the core fundamentals of influence, then I have one more gift for you. I've put together a special training just for the listeners of this podcast that breaks down the four levels of influence and how to start using these tools in your life today. If you want that free training, then go to wildinfluence.com forward slash go. That's wildinfluence.com forward slash go. That's wild with an E at the end, then influence.com forward slash go. All you need to do is enter your name, email, and phone number, and we will send that over to you straight away. Until the next time, my friend, this is Eli signing off from the Everything is Influence podcast.